Growing in God's Word and learning what it means to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh. It makes absolutely perfect sense that God would reveal Himself in a way that you and I could not fully grasp or fully comprehend. If God is this infinite being, then it would seem quite rational to think that there's no way I will ever fully comprehend all that He is or how that He reveals Himself to us for the simple fact that I am a finite being. Power. For many of us, it's easy to take for granted. We walk into a room, flip a switch, and we have powerful lights. We get in our car, turn the key, and the engine's power is at our disposal. But what about spiritual power? Where do we find that kind of power? Spirit of God, Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost, however you want to refer to Him, He is God. He's not less God than the Father or the Son. He is a co-equal, co-eternal person in the triune Godhead. Hello and welcome to this week's Crosswalk. In our current series, Crossroads, we've seen in chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul emphasized the necessity for unity for followers of Jesus Christ. Looking at problems in Corinth, not so that we can see historically the mess that they were, but so that we can take it and apply it in our contemporary context for the mess that we are sometimes. Today, as we dive into chapter 2, we're going to find that Paul saw the necessity for something else, or more correctly, someone else. The necessity of the Holy Spirit working in our lives takes center stage in chapter 2. Now, here's Pastor Clay with today's message. We spent the first few weeks in this series called Crossroads discussing the necessity for unity within the body of Christ, followers of Jesus Christ gathered locally in a a local body. The necessity of unity in, in this thing that we call church and how vitally, vitally important uh, it is for our lives and for the life of uh, the church. Uh, One of the things that makes church or should make church so amazing is the fact that we can be, and I I know I've said this in the last few weeks, but the fact that we can have a variety of, of, of persons, right? Different backgrounds, different personalities, different ethnicities, different educational levels, different uh, uh, bank account statuses, different uh, interests and, and hobbies, different preferences, different, just different stuff. We can have all this different stuff, right? And yet can come together under this one banner, under this, this, this banner that we call the cross of Jesus Christ, that, that we find our unity in in the cross of Christ, right? You know, if y'all been here, you know we, we've talked about that and how vitally important that is for our lives as a church. And, and, and Paul opens up, listen, there were a lot of problems in Corinth. As we're making our way through First and Second Corinthians, there were a lot of problems in Corinth that we're going to see as we make our way through this letter. By the way, looking at the problems in Corinth... Not so that we can see historically the mess that they were. Not, or not to just that. We, we need to do that for context. But, but not looking at, the, at it as an historical uh, event so that we can see the mess that they were. But so that we can take it and apply it in our contemporary context for the mess that we are sometimes. 
Y'all may not amen that, but it's still true. For the mess that we are or can be in our lives sometimes, or that the church can be uh, corporately gathered. So not just to say, wow, what a mess it was in Corinth. I think if you'll stay with us through this series, you're going to see some amazing application for your own life in some very contemporary situations and circumstances. That's why I hope you really pay attention to this, dig into this, and it just expands your, your understanding of, of what this means for me and for my life. Because this necessity for unity within the church, man, that's where Paul starts. Because that's where it has to start, Right? Diversity, yes. Disunity, no. There's no place for it in the body of Christ. And when it exists, and Paul's going to bring this up as we go, away, go into it further, as, when it exists, there's, there's ways that it has to be dealt with and that we need to deal with when there is disunity. Whether, whether we're talking about this family, your family, uh, your work family, whatever the case may be, how do we approach this as a follower of Jesus Christ? So that's, a, that, that, that's where he starts. There's a necessity for that. But, here we go, there is a second necessity that we need to look at in these opening chapters of 1 Corinthians. There is a second necessity for the body of Christ. Okay? There is a second necessity that you and I need to look at. And I'm going to give you that second necessity. Are you with me? I'm going to give you that second necessity today in the form of a BP squared. Now, if you are fairly new to cross-culture church, just so you know as we dive into this, because I haven't used a BP squared in a while, if you're fairly new to cross-culture church, BP squared stands for Big Picture Biblical Principle. How many of you remember that? It's been a while since I've used it, but uh, something I came up with a few years ago. BP squared, Big Picture Biblical Principle. It's intended to be uh, a single sentence or statement that explains or communicates the overarching idea of a particular passage of Scripture, okay? In this case, the BP squared explains uh, or communicates the overarching picture of all of chapter 2. That's what I'm going to give you today. And the BP squared looks like this. If you'd like to fill in blanks, we give you the opportunity to do that just for fun. Uh, If you don't like to do it and just want to follow along, that's fine as well. But here's the BP squared this morning. The necessity for the centrality of the Spirit of God in our lives. Give you a minute to fill in those blanks if y'all like to do that. The necessity for the centrality of the Spirit of God in our lives. Now, as we get started this morning and before we look at the passage of Scripture... And as we go into the passage of Scripture, as we go into chapter 2, ultimately what I'm going to give you, what I'm going to show you that, that Paul is giving us are three reasons why uh, there's this necessity for the Spirit of God in our lives. Three reasons I believe that Paul lays out in Corinthians, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. We're only going to cover one of the reasons today, but that, in any event, that's what we're going to look at. But before we get to that, let me, let me say this. Those of us in the evangelical community. Evangelical meaning those that believe that a person needs a relationship with Jesus Christ, that they must personally invite Christ into their life and that there's nothing that that we do to earn it, that it's given to us as a free gift. Those of us in the evangelical community who 
uh, do not or who would not necessarily identify as uh, charismatic or Pentecostal, because of some uh, perhaps extremes that we have uh, that we have seen uh, in the charismatic uh, community, extremes as understood by our understanding of the Holy Spirit, because of that, those of us who would not identify as charismatic have sometimes been guilty of going to the other extreme of not talking about the Holy Spirit and His work in our lives and in the world at all. Maybe as a knee-jerk reaction, but we have been guilty of you know, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Listen, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost, however you want to refer to Him, He is God. He's not an it. He is God. He's not less God than the Father or the Son. He is a co-equal, co-eternal person in the triune Godhead. Granted, there is mystery in understanding how God can, can be one God, but, but be three distinct, reveal himself as three distinct persons within the God. I grant it to you there's mystery in that, but I would also add that from a rational perspective, it makes absolutely perfect sense that God would reveal himself in a way that you and I could not fully grasp or fully comprehend. Are you with me? If God is this infinite being, then it would seem quite rational to think that there is no way I will ever fully comprehend all that he is or how that he reveals himself to us for the simple fact that I am a finite being. So, uh, granted, there's mystery in this, but, but also it's quite rational to think that he would reveal our, himself in that way. Now, Let's, let's talk about the necessity for the centrality of the Spirit of God in our lives. And listen to me. This is really important. I, I may say that a lot sometimes. I, it's all important. But are you looking at me? This is really important. Because if you have been doing this Jesus thing for a while, and you would look at your life and you would evaluate your life and you would... Not, you don't have to share it with anybody else, but if, if you evaluate your own life and you would come to the, come to the estimation that, that your life is not experiencing or even expressing a lot of what the Bible says that you are supposed to have in your life as a follower of Jesus Christ. Are you with me? You understand what I'm saying? In other words, if, you're, if you don't feel like that a large majority of your time or a, lot of, a large majority part of the time in your life, you don't seem to have victory in your life, you don't seem to experience peace in your life, you don't seem to experience joy in your life, you find yourself continually struggling with the same temptations and sins, the temptation may always come, but you seem to find yourself continually giving in to, to this particular sin or that particular situation and you never seem to have any victory in your life over it or very rarely... If you would say, I, listen, I know that I've trusted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I know that I am, as Jesus puts it in John chapter 3, I know that I am born again. I know that. But I, I, I'm not really, 
I'm not really experiencing it in my life. I'm not really experiencing this joy and this peace and this contentment and this meaning and this purpose and all this stuff that, that Pastor Clay says is in there somewhere or that I've read somewhere or I come across. I'm, if I really look at my life on a daily basis, I'll have to say, you know what, that, that, that is missing from my life. I would say to you this morning, I would propose to you that it just may be that because that, that the reason may be that the Spirit of God is not central in your life. It just may be that the Spirit of God is not central in your life. Whoa, whoa, back up the train. I thought, I'm pretty sure I've heard you say this, PC, I thought if you invite Jesus Christ into your life, the Spirit of God comes to dwell within you. I thought if you're truly, genuinely born again, you already have the Spirit of God in your life. Ding, 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 ding. Amen. Give the man a cigar. What, one of them bubblegum ones, not a, not a real one. But. It's absolutely true, right? Absolutely true. If a person has committed their life to Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God dwells within them. Let me just give you a... a Just a a few reminders. Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Peter said to them, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ uh, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will... Finish that last part with me, please. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Get saved, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Romans uh, chapter 5, verse 5. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts... Through the Holy Spirit, who was what? Given, Given to you. 1 Corinthians uh, six nineteen, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? The dwelling place of the Holy Spirit, who is what? In you, In you whom you have from God, and that you are not your, your own. Of course, the verse goes on from there. This Holy Spirit, who is in you. One more, uh, Ephesians uh, chapter 1, verse 13. In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, after you did that, having also believed, you were what? Sealed in him with who? The Holy Spirit of promise. So, right? I, I think we can all agree here, without question, and this is just a few examples, but without question, the clear teaching of Scripture is that when I receive Jesus Christ as my personal Savior, when I recognize my sin, my need for a Savior, I turn to Him by faith and faith alone. The clear teaching of Scripture is that the Spirit of God came to dwell within me. The Spirit of God was given to me as a gift. Now, the Spirit has gifts that He gives, and we'll look at that later in 1 Corinthians. But, again, clearly Scripture says... When you got uh, saved, when, when you got Jesus, you got the whole Godhead. You got the, and the Holy Spirit dwells within you. Y'all know there's a big but coming, don't you? But, Scripture also teaches, uh, Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. Walk by the Spirit. But I thought the Spirit was in me. Walk by the Spirit. You do not carry out the desires of the flesh. Um, Ephesians 5.18 And do not get drunk with wine, for that is, 
That is dissipation. That's, that's not propolis and it's no good. But be filled, finish it, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. Here's a question. If I have the Holy Spirit in me, if the Spirit came to dwell within me the moment I accepted Jesus Christ as my personal Savior, why would Paul tell me that I need to walk in the Spirit? Why would Paul tell me that I need to be filled with the Spirit of God if the Spirit of God is already in me? Here's the reason. The reason, and granted, again, this is part of the, the mystery of God's salvation. God is the one who does the saving. God is the one who does the drawing. God is the one who does the convicting of our sin and invites us to receive the, the gift of redemption through the sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ. God is the one that does all of that. But then God also invites us to take part in this is a $5 word, take part in this sanctification process that belongs to us as believers in Jesus Christ. I, I put it this way, uh, uh, if you see it up on the screen, God doesn't just want you to have the Spirit. God wants the Spirit to have you. You, you have the Spirit based on Scripture. If you, if you truly know Jesus Christ, your personal Savior, you have the Spirit. But God doesn't want you to just have the Spirit. God wants the Spirit to have you. And clearly, the teaching of Scripture is that my volitional will plays a part in whether the Spirit has me. Whether I'm walking in the Spirit. Whether I'm filled with the Spirit. You understand where I'm going with this? That there is, that there is a, a responsibility... An intentionality. That's a word I've used a lot in 2018, isn't it? That there is an intentionality to choose to say, God, I'm so glad you've redeemed me. I'm so glad you've saved me. I know that I'm yours. I know you're, I'm your child. I've been bought with a price. Now, God, I, 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 I want to know you in the now. I want to grow in you. I want to experience all that you have for me and all that you want me to be. There is a volitional, willful intentionality that I must choose to do because pretty much all adults in here nobody's going to make you do this stuff and so we're invited into this this sanctification process as, as Paul says in, in his letter to the church in, in Ephesus in Ephesians uh, four fifteen, he says uh, we but speaking the truth in love we are to grow up in all as, aspects into him who is the head even Christ that's that's what sanctification is it's maturing it's growing up in my relationship with Jesus Christ and it's on us that's on us the Spirit is there, the Spirit works, the Spirit will work, but are you and I joining Him, taking part in this sanctification process? Do you understand what I'm saying to you today? So, here's what I would, I would show you. I will, I will walk in the flesh instead of the Spirit if I'm not intentional about walking in the Spirit instead of the flesh. That's just the way it is. I will, if I'm not intentional about the Spirit of God directing me, controlling me, I will default, I will naturally default to my natural man. Can I get an amen? I don't think there's a person in this room that has not experienced that before. I will naturally default to my flesh. I will naturally become angry or greedy or lustful or envious or whatever. Self-centered or on and on and on, right? 
That, that's the choices that I will make. So there must be an intentionality on my part. Now, I set all that up, and we're going to dive into the three reasons. Only one today. We're going to dive into the three reasons why there is a necessity for the centrality of the Spirit of God in our life. I've told you up front that we have to be intentional about doing this. Now I'm going to give you the reasons why. First reason uh, this morning is this, from uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. The Spirit empowers us. It is the Spirit who empowers us. Y'all been sitting for a few minutes? I wanted to get you to stand for just a moment as we read verses 1 through 5, 1 Corinthians chapter 2 uh, this morning. Set your coffee down on the side or whatever you need to do. 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1 or chapter 2, beginning in verse 1 this morning. And when I came to you, brethren, listen to what he says. And when I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or the wisdom or of wisdom proclaiming to you the testimony of God. That's not how I came to you. For I determined to know nothing among, among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in the demonstration of the Spirit and of power. So that, in order that, your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, say it, but on the power of God. Father, uh, today as we uh, look at even just these five verses, I ask for your anointing, as I've been asking, as I always ask, ask for your anointing upon your messenger boy today to, to clearly communicate the truth of your word. I'm very conscious of Paul's words. I've been very conscious. I've been studying this of Paul's, what Paul is saying about not in cleverness of speech. And Father, I don't think that, that means that we need to intentionally be bad communicators, but I, I do believe that if we rely on our own strength, our own abilities, it will have no kingdom impact, no real long-lasting eternal effect. So uh, today, may you speak to the hearts of, there's, there's young men in this room, there's grown men in this room, there's young ladies in this room, there's grown ladies in this room, there's children in this room. God, every person in here, part of the, the, the power of the Spirit of God is to, is to take your word and make its effect in each of our lives. There's no way that I can know what's going on in each person's life in this room right now. Some of them they may be riding the, the crest of a wave and some of them may feel like they're being shoved deep under the water by a crushing wave of circumstance. But wherever each person is, wherever each family is, wherever each uh, situation is, you are the God who is enough. And so I pray that your word would have its effect in our lives today and we would learn this truth that the Spirit empowers us. In his name we pray. Amen. Thank you. And be seated. Uh, we'll, we'll make some more references back to verse 1 through 5 here in a few minutes. But listen to me as, as you're being seated. Let me say this to you. One of the things that we know about the Apostle Paul is that he was a brilliant, he was a brilliant man. He, he really was. He was highly educated. He was, he was experienced. He was well read. The Apostle Paul had no problem standing toe-to-toe with the rabbinic, with the rabbinic teachers of his day or the Greek and Roman scholars and philosophers of his day. He had no problem standing toe-to-toe with them and being able to debate or discuss or philosophize or, or whatever else needed to do. 
But listen to me. Here's, here's something else Paul knew. And, and a lot of people that have that education, that, that have that intellect, that have that whatever, and we, we reference that some in, in chapter 1, a lot of people that have that don't have this additional piece that Paul had. Paul knew that all of that education and intellect, all it had ever done was put him on the road to hell until Jesus knocked him to his knees on the road to Damascus. Now, that, that's certainly not to say that intellect or education is a bad thing. I think we've said that before as well. It's certainly not wrong or bad to be <laughs> educated, uh, be uh, intellectual about things. Nothing wrong with that. Certainly, uh, not, not only is there nothing wrong, but we are encouraged to, as Peter says, 1 Peter 3.15, be ready to give every man an answer the hope that is in you. It's certainly not wrong uh, to, to want to, to give truth, to want to give information But here's the deal. Being informed is not the same thing as being transformed. You understand what I'm saying to you? Being informed is not the same thing as being transformed. And the Apostle Paul has discovered that in his own life. And he wants the Corinthians to discover that for themselves. Remember, Corinth is is the Wild West, man. It's the Wild West of its day. People coming from all over the world, all different ideas, all different things to discuss and, and all different kinds of decadence and, and fleshliness to get into, but also all times, types of thought and beliefs and all that kind of stuff. In verse, uh, in, in verse 1 there, uh, when Paul said, I did not come to you with superiority of, of speech. The word speech there in, in the original language that the New Testament was written in, in, in Greek, the word speech is logos, uh, which some of you may be familiar with, which means word or, or communication. The word uh, superiority, or some translations may have excellency, uh, actually comes from, from a combination of, of, of uh, Greek things. It comes from the, the Greek verb echo, which means to have, and the Greek preposition huper, which means above. So it is to have speech uh, or, or communication that is high up, that is exalted, that is... That is uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm saying? So essentially, here's what Paul says. Essentially, Paul's saying, hey, Corinthian church, I didn't come to you with some highfalutin speech. I, I, didn't, I didn't come to you showing off my, my vast intellect. I didn't come to you uh, trying to impress you with my uh, extensive vocabulary. I didn't come to you flashing uh, this degree and that degree and, and this and that and all this kind of stuff. I, I didn't come to you uh, with any of that. But I came to you, he sa- essentially he says, but I came to you in demonstration of the power through the delivery of one simple message. Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That's where I want you to build your faith. That's what matters and makes a difference. Jesus Christ and him crucified. So Paul, Paul lays it out there from the very beginning. He says, I don't, I, don't, I don't want you to think that it's about this or about that because there's plenty of people. By the way, it may be part of the reason why some people in the church in Corinth weren't wanting to readily identify with the Apostle Paul. Because not only was he not coming to them in superior speech or showing off his intellect, but he also didn't come to them in superior spirit, in, in his appearance, in the way he presented himself uh, to them. He says there in verse 3, he says, uh, And I was with you, watch what he says, in weakness and in fear 
and in much trembling. In weakness and in fear and in much trembling. Probably not the, not the way you would describe yourself on a resume, is it? If you're applying for a job or a career, it's probably not the way you would d- describe yourself because, because from a human perspective, it's probably not very attractive, right? I mean, we like our leaders strong. We like them decisive. We like them powerful. We like them with deep... <clears throat> right? Right? And so here comes Paul. He says, man, if y'all remember, I, I came to you in weakness and in fear and in trembling. And listen, I, I, don't, I don't believe that the Apostle Paul is is trying to be self-deprecating here. I don't believe that the Apostle Paul in any way is bringing some sort of false humility. I think this is genuinely the way he came to the church in Corinth. Now, listen to me. It's true that the Apostle Paul believed and is the one who wrote that he's not ashamed of the gospel. Romans 1.16, right? It's the power of God unto salvation. It's true, the Apostle Paul said, I'm crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who lives, but Christ lives in me, Galatians 2, 20. It's the same Paul, but it's the same Paul also, ladies and gentlemen, who had basically been beat up, thrown in prison, and or run out of every town that he had ever been in. Now you tell me, I don't know, because remember, we, we read about these guys and, and you know, we, we think, man, what great... Well, you tell me, how many times did you have to get beat up when you go and tell somebody about Jesus? How many times do you have to get thrown in prison? How many times do you have to receive 40 lashes minus one before you might be a little gun shy about the next place you're going and what you're going to present? Because I, I believe he's being absolutely as transparent as he can possibly be. But his transparency is good news for us. It's, it's exciting news for us because it gives us two truths that we're going to just briefly go over before we close this morning. But two truths from Paul's self-revelation of how he came. Listen, I, I didn't come to you with eloquence of speech. I didn't come to you with impressive uh, uh, this or that. And, and as a matter of fact, I came to you in weakness and I came to you in fear and I came to you in trembling. Y'all remember that when I came to you that way? His being willing to expose himself that way. Because we don't like to do that, right? We don't, like I said, we wouldn't put in our resume... Man, I really stink at this. Uh, if you need this, I wouldn't hire me. <laughs> right? But there's two truths that, that we get from Paul's self-revelation here. The first one looks like this. Uh, it shows that weakness and fear don't have the power to stop us. And you could add trembling. It's basically the same thing. But Paul's being willing to say, hey, here's the way I came to you. It shows you and me here today in this room that Weakness and fear don't have the power to stop us. This is exciting news for you and me because you and me, you and I, know exactly what it feels like to be fearful about presenting our faith to somebody, don't we? We know exactly what it feels like to feel weak or inadequate for for what I'm about to try and do or how I want to engage this person. We know exactly how that feels. And so it should come as a bit of encouragement to us to say, hey, even Paul struggled with this. I came across a great quote this week from Paige Patterson in his commentary on 1 Corinthians. I wanted to read the whole thing to you. He says, this confession on the part of the Apostle Paul, first of all, should be a matter of immense comfort and encouragement to every Christian who finds himself desiring to share his faith. Hopefully that's everyone in this room. Yet hesitant to do so due to weakness, fear, and much trembling. 
if the most aggressive and passionate missionary in all history knew these human emotions, it is not too much to suppose that we will know them also. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. If Paul could feel fear at the idea of going in here, I'm going to try and share my faith with these people. If Paul could feel weak or inadequate to do what he's about to do, then it should come as no surprise to you and me that we would feel the same way. And we do feel the same way. But what Paul is saying to us and what we know Paul did is that that fear, that weakness, that trembling didn't have the power to stop him and it doesn't have the power to stop us from sharing unless we let it. Listen, can I, can I say this to you this morning? Those of you that tried to share your faith, you know what it feels like? Can I say this to you this morning? Being afraid isn't failure. Silence is. Being afraid isn't failure. Being silent is failure. Because if I'm silent, if a situation presents itself and I know this is a way I can engage or I can invite, I can hand somebody a card, I can share my, my testimony of how Jesus Christ made a difference in my life, that opportunity, those opportunities, when they present themselves to us, and I, and I know I had that opportunity and I've done it, I've had that, and, I, and I've walked away, I've excused it, I said, well, they're, they're probably busy, or well, I just don't know if this, da, 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 da. Silence is the only time I fail. If I, if I, push through in obedience if I do what God has called me to do then then my weaknesses and my inabilities or my inadequacies and my fears they don't have power over me do you understand what we're saying here this morning about this idea of introducing Jesus to people around us so it shows that fear and weakness don't have the power to stop me here's the second idea second truth from that is that it shows that weakness and fear can't stop the power of of the Spirit of God. It can't stop the power of the Spirit of God. What is it Paul says there in verse 5? How does he put it? That your faith should not rest on the wisdom of men, not on some slick presentation, not on some, but on the power of God. It can't stop. Your fears, your weaknesses, your inadequacies, your trembling can't stop the power of God. Listen, as I said, not very attractive when Paul comes to them. Paul was not your prototypical, at least what we've been able to piece together uh, historically, Paul was not your prototypical evangelist that we think of today. Most people think he was pretty short in stature. He didn't have a, a preacher voice. You ever been around one of them guys that's got one of them voices that you envy? He probably didn't have preacher hair like the perfect you know, kind of slicked back, whatever kind of look. He didn't, he, didn't have an, he didn't have an eloquent speech. He didn't have a magnetic personality that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. Do you understand? You know you what, what he's saying here? You can't blow this, is what I'm saying to you, basically, ladies and gentlemen. You, can't, you and I can't blow this. When we desire to, to, to engage or, or share or invite or whatever. It's the Spirit of God that does this. It's the Spirit of God that works. And your fears and your tremblings and everything can't stop. And your inadequacies and your, oh, I, I mumble, I bumble, I, I do whatever. It can't stop the power of God. You can't stop the power of God. I dare you, try. Go out tomorrow, share your faith with 10 people. Stumble around, bumble around. But genuinely want to share your faith with 10 people. See if God doesn't use it. 
What does he say? Uh, Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6. These are good words for us. Then he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, saying, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Hope that wasn't a large rat back there. But not by might nor by power. You see, that's, it's not, oh, I, I, I got I to memorize this outline, or I got to know how to do this, or I got I, I to do no, just in who you are. Again, not saying we shouldn't prepare, not saying we, but you can't stop the power of the Spirit of God. Your inadequacies can't stop the power of the Spirit of God from working. I, I remember uh, years ago, I was, uh, went to visit a man and another gentleman was with me, a gentleman who had, uh, had a history of uh, alcoholism and, and drug abuse and he'd given his life to Jesus Christ and, and God had given him victory uh, over that, that part of his life. And we went to visit a man who it so happened uh, was an alcoholic. Um, uh, just, just, I mean, he just was. He knew it, his, his wife knew it, everybody knew it and, and she asked us if we'd go visit him and we did. We went and visited him. We were talking with him and in, in a moment the gentleman that was with me just, just began to share his story, just began to share where he was, what his life was like before Jesus Christ. And, you know, and, and, and the, the trained professional is, I'm just, I'm just standing on, I'm just standing there, you know. I mean, I, I got it. I, I got EECWT, XYZ, faith. I got every outline in the world ready. I can, I can deliver it any second. And this guy just starts sharing his story of where his life was and what Christ did in his life and how he'd come to receive victory in his life. And, and, and in, in the midst of it, and the guy's just, just standing there listening, just hearing it all stoic. And then all of a sudden, just in an instant, he just crumbles. He literally crumbles to the ground and just bursts out in tears and gives his life to Jesus Christ right there. He says, that's, that, that's, that's me. That's my life. You're telling me there's hope. You're telling me that, 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 that I can have a better life than this. And he gives his life to Jesus Christ right on the spot. It's not, not, not about your abilities or your inadequacies or your whatever. It's about the power of the Spirit of God to work. One of the reasons I think, I need to close, but one of the reasons that I think that God has laid on my heart in 2018 this hashtag ask the question thing, I think one of the reasons God has laid that on my heart so much is because I, I really believe this. I really believe the time is short for this world. I, I really believe the time is short for this world. I really believe that God is, is winding this thing up and that Jesus Christ is going to be coming back uh, soon. I, I, I genuinely believe that. Time, I really believe that time is of the essence and if you and I are going to make a difference, then we have to, remember I talked about this intentionality, we have to intentionally build a burden into our lives. How do I build a burden into my life? In other words, how, how do I, I, I can't fake, fake a burden for somebody that's lost, I can't manufacture a burden for loss, so how do I, how do I have a burden in, in, in my life? I believe that it comes from looking at every single person that you come in contact with from the perspective of eternity. Listen to me. Every tribe, civilization, culture that has ever existed on the face of the earth forever and today has a belief, has some type of belief in an afterlife. It's real. It's coming. And, and I have to, as I said, in the business of my life, I have to I have to build in the discipline, the intentionality of looking at every person from the perspective of where will this person spend eternity. 
I'm finding myself telling some of the other day, I think I was telling Kale the other day, that I'm finding myself more and more at the, at the gym uh, that sometimes I'll, I'll, I'll be working out for a while and I'll realize that I've, I've not even thought about that for a second. And as I look around at people, most people got their earbuds in and they're doing their own thing and, um, you know, I, I'm kind of intimidating because I'm so buff and everything so they don't want to, you know, really come around. So most people don't, don't engage, right? It's hard to, but my goodness, can I look at them? Can I care about them? Can I stop and say, Father, right now in Jesus' name, I do not know where that man uh, on the treadmill is going to spend eternity. But he'll spend eternity somewhere in heaven or hell. In, his, in Jesus' name, I ask that you'd send workers in the field of his life. If you'll give me an opportunity to even open up something, some way I can talk to him right now, I'll do it. But God, send workers in the field of his life. Send circumstances into his life, God, that, that will cause him to come to the end of himself. I can pray that for him. And I can pray it for that for that. Uh, lady over there and I can pray it for this person over there and that person over there I can pray it for people I see on TV then people that y'all get so mad about that are demonstrating and carrying the, the, the banners and pounding on the Supreme Court doors and all that kind of stuff they'll spend eternity in hell unless somebody tells them that there's, there's a better option and they respond to the spirits drawing I might be tempted to say good it's where they belong it's where I belong it's where I belong but by the grace of God, I'll spend eternity with him in heaven instead of the place where I belong, which is hell. That's why I'm begging you to build in the discipline of asking the question. Because if, if you'll do that, I really believe that a burden will begin to be built in your life. You'll begin to care more and more. You'll be more sensitive about people and the lostness around you. And if you'll do that, if, if you'll build that burden, if you'll allow that burden to be built, I honestly believe that that opportunities will present themselves to, to hand somebody an iVite card, to say, listen, I, uh, can, have I ever, ever told you about my story? Have I ever told you about uh, how I got victory here or, or how I know I would, whatever my, however it comes out? Because it doesn't matter because it's the spirit that does it, right? So uh, if, if, if we'll build the burden, I generally believe the opportunities will present themselves for all of us. And if the opportunities present themselves, listen to me, and then we'll close. I promise you, I promise you, God will save people. God will save people through this fellowship. People you work with, people you go to school with, family members that aren't saved, neighbors that aren't saved. If you and I will say, God, I want to be intentional, God will do it. There is a necessity for the centrality of the Spirit of God in my life because God can use me to make a difference. He empowers us. And listen, I, I, maybe I'll say real briefly something about this next week. But think about this as well. Not just, obviously the context here, we can pull out of that, that the idea is in, in sharing my faith and in, in trying to help people understand about Jesus. We can see the Spirit empowering us. But think about it in the context of any situation or circumstance in your life where fear would tend to grip you and keep you from advancing in your faith. Thanks, Pastor, for that timely reminder of the necessity for the centrality of the Spirit of God in our lives. In our busy lives, with our hectic schedules, it can be easy to forget that as followers of Jesus, we have access to a power greater than anything the world can produce. And as we saw today, when it comes to sharing our faith in Jesus with others, we're not limited by our abilities or fears or anything else. God's Spirit can work through any of us, and He wants to work through all of us. We invite you to join us on a Sunday morning at Cross Culture Church. We gather each week in a casual and contemporary atmosphere to celebrate the goodness of our God. 
Cross-culture may be a little different from what you're thinking. Sure, we're a church, but instead of religion, we're about a relationship, a community of believers where Jesus is revealed in the lives of each person, real people who truly care, solid biblical teaching from Pastor Clay Stevens, and the most energetic, fun, and safe kids program around. Find out more at crossculture.church. Cross Culture Church in North Raleigh, taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross.